Welcome to part four of How to Make Sense Out of Chaos. This will be the final episode in the series, and after this episode, we'll be returning to the regular intended schedule. For some, this has been a spectacular and massively eye-opened series, and for others, this has just been a massive information overload. To be fair, I could probably spend the next year on this topic, because it's so vast. I diverted this broadcast in this direction because humans do crazy things, and when we can attach a why to those crazy things, then they start to make sense. And this past opportunity, was, it's just a gold mine. There's just so much going on. This is a gold mine to mine human behavior and take a look at humans under a microscope and see humans from a much higher level. However, this is not a university podcast. This is Breakthrough Radio. And there are so many other topics that I want to explore with you. And this is what Breakthrough Radio is all about. It's about looking at humans and giving us the tools for us to take ourselves to the next level. It's about your development, your happiness, and your success. In part one of the series, I introduced you to the worlds of development. And these are worlds which we all go through. We all go through these worlds as individuals and as cultures and as societies. It's a much better perspective than just pointing fingers with no constructive means to move forward. And possibly through this series, it might not sound like it, but I'm actually an eternal optimist. I'm optimistic that one day this problem will be solved. However, until then, we need to expose a problem before we can identify and implement the solution to the problem. Ask yourself an important question. Before you heard about these worlds from me, or before you heard about these worlds at all, were you aware of these worlds? Could you see these worlds from this point of view before this podcast, before this series? Or did you just happen to know that some people behaved differently from others, and especially they behaved differently from you? It's a good question to ask. And if you think back, have you ever asked yourself, why can't everyone just think the same, or think better, or see life the way that you do? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do you remember being young and looking for a way of operating, a way to think, or a way to behave? Looking for that right or so-called better way to behave? Or perhaps some of us are still stuck in this phase. And for as long as we are stuck in these stages or these phases without awareness of the different worlds, this is what I keep talking about when I say that these worlds are invisible to us. Until we go to a higher level, until we can actually see these worlds, until we go to a higher level of awareness and operation, we'll be stuck in the gridlock of Tier 1. And yes, I've had plenty of questions about Tier 2 and World 7 or Yellow, and yes, we will get into that. However, we're just going to touch on it. And before we get there, let's just have a quick reminder and a brief overview of the worlds of Tier 1. And then we'll jump into a lot more meat on this topic, and then we'll move into World 7 towards the end. This is Breakthrough Radio. Okay, so just to keep this thing blunt and short, there are different worlds which we develop into. And as we go through different phases of our life, we just develop into these different worlds. As we develop in one world and we start to get to the other side of that world, we emerge into another one. A new world becomes available to us. We see new horizons. We see new opportunities. And then we go to the next level to solve the current problems which we are having. And the next level solves that problem, but then it generates and creates more problems as we develop. And we are working with Tier 1, which is World 1 to World 6. And I'm just going to give you the high points of these worlds. So World 1. World 1 is very simple. It's the survival level. There's no economy. There's no emotional quotient. It's a very, very, very basic and primal level. We experience this both as children and as adults. This developmental model overlays different layers of our development, both as a child and both as a society and as a culture. As we emerge into World 2, World 2 is the bigger group. 
At this stage, we still don't know how the whole world works. We don't know what makes the sun come up. We don't know what makes us stick to the ground. It's still a very basic or primitive level, and it's in the space where we believe everything is run by spirits and magic. Because we feel that there's a spirit inside of us, everything else must be run by spirits. The wind, the air, the trees, everything. So this is a very supernatural world. When we develop and we emerge into World 3, World 3 is a completely brand new ball of wax. World 3 is both the problem and where the solution lies. And we all develop through these phases, so we will all develop through World 3. And effectively, the big solution for World 3 is how quickly can we emerge and develop and transcend World 3. We need to move through World 3 as quick as we can and get into the next stages and get into the next world as quick as possible. And these developmental stages need to happen as young as possible. That's another one of those keys. It needs to happen as young as possible. And as we develop through World 3, we develop into World 4. World 4 emerges. This is where the line is drawn. This is where the line between, let's call it primitive society and modern society really becomes apparent. Because at World 4, we start using things like science, technology, rules, Our rules are written down. We have a system. We have a constitution. All of that comes online at World 4. Before World 4, none of this is written down. Even on the cave paintings, none of this is written down. There's no language. There's no formal rules. There's no formal written down rules. And effectively, World 4 and up, these are the worlds which are all responsible for massive social development and technology development. And it's at this stage where we really start to develop a much deeper emotional quotient. Our emotional system really starts to develop. This is where we start to develop time horizon and consequential thinking and rational thinking, very logical thinking, systematic processes, etc. At the level of World 4, this is also a space where we can see an actual economy developing. And not only developing, it has the capability of having a well-developed economy. And this is the onset of civilization itself, where we actually start to farm, we settle down, and we build societies, civilizations, and the bigger cultures emerge out of this. And then World 5 emerges out of that, World 5 leverages the economy to create a lot of wealth for themselves. And World 5 is a lot more about making money. And they do this by creating more technology and leveraging the rules of science and spreading the workload and creating a much bigger economy for all with the intent to create a lot of wealth for themselves. And even at this level, even though we've bought a lot of things and we own a lot of things, we still know that this hasn't solved all the problems, especially the global problems or now the society problems. And then we move into World 6. And when the World 6 comes online, they're very much about relationships. And what they want to do is they want to make sure that everyone is okay. World 6 looks at all the wealth which is created and they can see that there's disparity. And all the money in the world isn't solving their relationship issues. So they go into relationships. World 6 is a sharing and caring world. And the World 6 wants to take the wealth which has been created by World 5 and World 4 and wants to distribute the wealth through all the worlds. It wants to distribute the wealth of 4 and 5 between World 1, 2, 3, and themselves, and essentially the ones who created 4 and 5, they're the ones who get to suffer for their redistribution. It's a crazy world. (laughs) It's a very interesting world. What they tend to do is also lobby around. So they'll lobby around all the groups, and they'll tell all the other groups what the other groups want to hear. They'll tell the World 4s that they're going to look after the rules. They'll tell World 5s that they're going to make them rich. They're going to tell World 3s that they can do whatever they want. And they'll tell World 2s that they're really going to sort out their tribes and that they'll never go hungry and that they're going to make their lives a lot easier. 
And they go around to all these groups and they get a lot of backing, a lot of support. And they do this with all good intentions. The thing is, their intentions don't result in any particular action. World 6 is actually very ineffectual because they've left World 4 and World 5 behind. Because World 4 and 5 has all of those systems in place. When the World 6 comes online and a pure World 6, they resist all of those things. They, they deem all of that as evil. And at the same time, because they have the support of all the groups, those groups vote them into power and basically we call them government. Now yes, in government we do have fours, fives and sixes and different cultures, different countries have different stages of governments. So some governments will be a world four government and you get a world five government and then a world six government and eventually we'll go into the next tier when we go into world seven. World seven is when we go into tier two. And the whole thing going on between world one and world six is all tier one stuff. And at the level of tier one, there's very little awareness of each other. All that we see is someone's doing something which looks unfamiliar to us, it looks weird to us, or it looks either dull and boring, or it just looks criminal and insane. And in tier one, we just got a tier one food fight to see who's right and making everyone else wrong. Now that's just a super abbreviated version of these worlds and how these worlds actually work together. And as promised, in this episode, we are going to dive into world seven. Now while doing a lot more study and research and fact-finding for the series and all of these episodes, I dug up some of my old recordings and programs and I found an absolute nugget for us. There's a section in one of these programs which lays this entire thing out for us and it just hits this topic directly. And in my last style of exposing you to a whole lot of other voices to give you contrast and other perspectives, I've included some excerpts from one of those programs. And the insert is from Whitewood Small and Eben Pagan from their awesome program Master Keys to Success. And it makes it important because in this insert, which you'll hear just now, Wyatt talks about being in South Africa many years ago, and it relates exactly to what we are talking about and what we have been discussing here in the series. And at the same time, I can give you a taste of a lot of the things which I consume. I get asked these questions a lot. You know, what do I read? What do I listen to? What do I constantly consume and invest in? And this is a bit of a taste for you. This is the kind of stuff which I consume and listen to all day long. And you can take this as a bit of a small sample of what I distill for you. These are the things that I go through. I distill these things. I invest my time, money, and effort into these things. And then I bring you the biggest and the best nuggets out of all of my experience and all the other contexts which I come from. And for most people, for most people, these programs are just either too intense, too expensive, or just too boring to get through on their own. And I love these things. I just want to prep you. <laughs> just be prepared. Old Wyatt has a very big, gruff, and scratchy voice. But I promise, Wyatt is a gem. He is a wonderful man. He's actually quite a cool dude. And he makes the point here perfectly. And as always, it's better to let others talk nice about you than to make the point for yourself. And in the beginning, Wyatt catches us up with the State of the Union, in other words, the State of Affairs, and then he digs into World 7 or the Yellow. So listen up and enjoy. I'll catch you after Wyatt. So... Now, once again, as I said, one of the big problems is romanticizing the tribal people. So there are bands of people, there are tribes where they are able, basically, everybody takes care of each other. There's no poverty. Everybody looks after each other. There's no theft. There's no crime. There's no war. There's relatively little disease because you've got a group of people living in harmony with the environment, and there's niches, and where you find those, these are great. And you should leave these people alone. Then let them rejoice and let them live there. Now then, but we tend to think, I mean, there's a lot of these uh, 
romanticisms that these people were tremendously ecological. And usually, like the American Indians, simply when the camp filled up with garbage, they simply moved on and found another camp. There was enough land that there was no reason to sit there. So they weren't particularly, if we really looked at it, necessarily ecological. But nevertheless, their ability to preserve traditional ways and maintain balance with natural forces, they frequently do a much better job of that than we do. Now then, but that's not unfortunately always the case. One of the things about tribes is they tend to fight with each other. And where you've got tribal rivalries that go back thousands of years, when you put people contiguously together in space, what are they going to do? They're going to fight each other. They're going to kill each other. Because as they're concerned, if you're not part of the tribe, then you're not a human being. Human beings only extend to the tribe. And if you're a threat to the tribe, then the tribe needs to remove that threat. So you get tribal wars. Second is they're incredibly vicious, involving killing and elimination of not just men, but women and children. The goal is the total elimination of the other tribe. And we look at it from our perspective and we say, oh, this is horrible. You've got these people killing women, killing children. I mean, how barbaric can you possibly be? And so from our point of view, this is, of course, criminal and insane. From their point of view, and this is the whole point of the model, we begin to think in terms of each of these systems. In terms of the model, then, we've got a closed group that's a tribe, and anybody threatening that tribe, then it's the responsibility of the tribe to eliminate that threat. And the eliminating of the threat may mean killing every one of the other people. And there's no shame to that. There's nothing wrong with that because they're not human. They're not part of the tribe. Also, then tribal people can become dependent captive of a group and unreasoning followers. So particularly tribal people will frequently become captive of what we'll see red leaders, which is the next levels. So tribal people frequently are easy to be controlled. And that becomes a problem then. And they become unreasoning followers. They do what the leader or shaman says. There's no checks on this. And we'll see checks don't come later to World 4. And so that we get tribal wars. And we think, well, wait a minute, this is the 20th century. Tribal wars, and we've got red warlords running around. And suddenly, if you remove the constraining forces the people immediately go out and start killing each other. So we watch on TV, and we watch in the streets of Sarajevo where snipers in the hills are shooting innocent people walking down the street, men, women, children, being shot by a distant sniper. And we go, how can this happen in the 20th century? What's going on here? Once again, tribal wars. So one of the things we want to learn is we want to go through this is we need to understand frequently how naive we are. And if we want to deal with these people, we need to be able to think like they do, and we need to be able to understand them, because that's the only way we're going to be able to manage the global village, because there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. 
And so we've got to begin then to work with this. But there's stuff out there, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to be aware also of magical kind of thinking. Magical kind of thinking. That we can do certain things, and things are going to happen. And when we start looking around the world for magical thinking, we find that a lot of it is still alive and well. If you're going to work with these people, first, uh, the management structure is that of the tribe. And that, once again, then, so all orders go through the chief. And if you want to work with the tribe, you've got to work with the chief, and you've got to work with the shaman. So we begin to get some interesting cases where people begin to come in and begin to start messing with this order. So there is no democracy at the tribal level. There is no democracy at the tribal level. People don't take a vote. The chief decides. He may consult the council of elders, but his decision is the final decision. And so one of the interesting countries that I've spent some time in is South Africa. And in South Africa, you've got people all the way from two to eight that are operating, and you've got groups of people there. So what happened is Mandela came in. Mandela is basically a Marxist. He was basically World Five. And he turned to the tribal people and he said, we're going to have a democracy and you're going to vote. And the tribal people said, what are you talking about? We don't vote. The chief decides for us. We don't take a vote. We don't elect the chief and we don't vote. So basically, interestingly enough, Mandela coming in from his world four slash five position then is destroying the tribal structure within the society. Now, there's, if we're going to manage the global village, if you put tribes that have had ethnic hatreds in proximity, they're going to kill each other. So one of the things you want to do is separate the belligerents. Second is you want to give them minimal access to weapons of mass destruction. If all you've got is a club or a sword or a knife, then you can kill a limited number of people. But if you start giving people guns, they can kill more people. If you start giving them artillery, they can kill more people. And if you start giving them nuclear weapons, then forget it. <clears throat> so one of the problems is that when we get up to World 5, we get people then that, hey, we're going to go sell arms to both sides. We're going to arm the belligerents. We'll let them buy arms. We'll give them more effective and efficient ways of killing each other. So if we're going to manage the global village, we've got to manage at every level because a lot of the problems occur, the interactions in of the various forces. And at the tribal level, there's a large number of people living at the tribal level. And we want to stabilize them in place, leave them alone. Unfortunately, the fours and the sixes, the fours says we've got to civilize them. The sixes say we've got to humanize them. And both result in the destruction of the tribe. Leave well enough alone. You don't have to move on. If people are happy in this condition, then this is where you should leave them. And if you try to take them out of that, we're going to find out what the bad consequences are of trying to do that. Six uh, believes it's at the top of the totem pole. And it can't imagine anything that's beyond it. And when it looks at those things beyond it, it actually sees things below it. It sees red. And so then it begins to react very powerfully and negatively against that. 
And uh, so the downside of six is what Wilbur calls boomeritis and the boomers. And that one of the problems is then, because there's this incredible subjectivity, that the downside of subjectivity is narcissism. So that whereas there's this presumed to be caring and sharing with everybody, but at the same time, there's a deep-seated narcissistic uh, narcissistic underbelly to the whole thing that uh, becomes the downside and that begins to emerge in various ways. So everything, once again, there's pluses and minuses. Um, the sixes really believe that they are superior and that they get it and no one else does, and they use it to take out their shadow in a lot of ways and a lot of their dark issues on other people. And it's Because they see the positive, they don't see the negative, and they don't see the negative in themselves, which is the most dangerous. So. At which point, the six realizes that caring and sharing alone doesn't solve serious social and ecological problems, and that it must come up with new solutions. Now, a very important point before we move uh, on here is that each of these levels so far isn't aware of the other levels. You really got to get this. When you're at each of the first six levels, you're not aware that the other levels or the spiral or this whole system exists. So as we're saying the sixes look at the fours and think this, and the fives look at the, the fours and do this, and the sixes do this to the fives and the fours. So these are groups that they use labels and they see each other as the us's and the them's, we're right, they're wrong, it's us against them, we're the ones that get it, they're the ones that don't, but they don't realize that they have others that are in their group because this is a model that's essentially universal. So they just don't get it. So at best, all of the other views are dull, boring, and irrelevant. Who cares? Or at worst, it's criminal and insane. And so this is a map of criminality and insanity, and depending on criminality and insanity, always is from one point of view judging another. And this is where the quantum leap happens, right here. It's also a challenge, is why it was saying, because once you get to six and you really, all these strong emotions have emerged and you feel identified with this idea of caring and sharing and equality and social justice and, you know, taking care of the animals and the planet, you can't, like, the first thing that strikes you is not, I don't get it. The thing that strikes you is, I get it, and then you get very emotional and attached to it. The quantum leap here is World 7 or the yellow, when you really realize that the caring and sharing isn't doing it. It's not actually solving the problems in the big scheme. And here the motto of the, uh, in Level 7, World 7, the yellow, we're calling the actualized individual. And here the motto is, express self, not at the expense of others. Okay, you pull out of that, uh, that egalitarian, we're all the same system, and you've got to go back to reflecting. A lot of people run into an existential crisis at this point because everything they thought was true, everything they believed in, everything that was about taking care of everyone else, it didn't work. It didn't actually do the trick. And so pulling in and going through a little bit of a, you know, a dark night here uh, is what happens. Uh, here, the psychological quantum jump in human development uh, happens. It's the realization of the complexity of world-scale problems. Also, the ability to think systemically emerges at this level. And ecology 
becomes the priority over caring and sharing. Okay, so we step back another level beyond just human relationships and emotions, and we see how complex this really is. My own observation is what happens here is at World 6, at Green, because we're just new at it, we think, well, everyone's got a perspective. They should all be equal. Here, we realize that there's another level beyond this and that beyond relativity, beyond just multiple perspectives, there are multiple models of reality. So there are multiple realities. So whereas six, they think, just like the others, that there's only one reality, that I get it, we all live in it, and if anybody's doing something differently, that's because they don't get it. Okay, they're not with reality. There's something wrong. Seven realizes that there are multiple realities, and it's the first level that can see the entire spiral of development. It's the first level that can recognize all the other levels and really see them as different realities and also take multiple perspectives within each reality. So it can jump down into world three and then take the perspective of the other person in there and say, oh, I see what's going on here. You want to talk a little bit about seven? Okay, you gave an excellent description. So seven, now we moved into total difference. So it's like six is we've got sameness of feelings and this emphasis on conformity to, to the group. Whereas seven, now we go the other way. And seven is now about thinking and tends to value thinking over feelings, so may very well appear to be cold and unfeeling. Uh, seven doesn't particularly like groups. Uh, and they hate networks, so they wake up every morning and say, God, please save me from networks. I don't want to hear a bunch of ignorant people sharing their views with each other. It's okay if they want to do that, but I don't need to listen to it. <clears throat> so anyway, they tend to be viewed as elitist to some degree. And, uh, <clears throat> and basically then, uh, they're, uh, they see multiple perspectives. They uh, operate out of complex decisions. They're able to deal with great degrees of difference. And uh, there's not very many of them, so they usually try to figure out a place to hide out in the world. <clears throat> what they resent most is they don't like to be mushroom people who are left in the dark and fed bullshit. So they've got high, <laughs> they've, uh, they've got a high intolerance of bad information, and uh, they want autonomy, they want freedom, they want independence, and uh, and they're smart and. Uh, Wilbur says that when we move from six to seven, that the seven has probably 20 times the capacity to take action that the six does. And so sevens then will f are interested in solving problems. The world is intellectual, and they're smart. And uh, it's about problem solving and coming up with solutions and viewing multiple solutions, playing out various scenarios, trying to figure out what the, the best solution is, and uh, they're not particularly into status like the fives are. Uh, they hate the conformity of the fours and the rigid thinking because that's all sameness and they're totally different in their thinking. They look at the sixes and they go, these people are nice, caring people. And so what? I mean, they're ineffective. They're not doing anything to solve the world's problems. In fact, they're getting in the way. So any case, so then seven looks at the world, and seven sees we got big problems. 
Because we look at the world, you got all these twos out there, and they're about to turn into threes, and you better do something, otherwise they're all going to kill each other. And so you better separate the belligerents and get all the arms away from them. And you got the fours, and the fours are hopeless because they're stuck in their rigid, right-wrong, dichotomized, black-white thinking in a gray world, and that doesn't work. And then you got the fives, and the fives are robbing everybody blind, and the fives are building all these ammunition to send it to the twos and the threes to allow them to kill each other. And uh, so they're the ones that are really screwing the things up. And then you got the sixes, and they're well-meaning, but they're not doing anything. And, 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 and it becomes, well, God, what the hell do we do now, for crying out loud? If we got a huge mess here, we got all these other people, and how the heck can we come up with some way of dealing with this situation to bring some uh, sanity to the table? And we don't have a lot of power, but we can have a lot of influence. And anyway, so that's kind of what it's like to live in the world of the seven. And at some point, the seven, as effective as they are, runs into the transformational dilemma. Complex thinking and models alone still don't solve the significant world-scale problems. Okay? Operating alone isn't doing it. And we're going to have to go to the next level because of the complexity and the volume of the problems that we're facing. So as Evan said, that uh, and when we go from six to seven, we cross a major watershed, and we call after up to six, we call that first tier, and after six, we call it second tier. And that thinking is great that the sevens have, and feeling is also important, and we've got to bring them together, and we've got to be able to do both at the same time and uh, that we can have access to dimensions of reality that otherwise we wouldn't have access to that are going to give us some guidance as to how to deal with the world. And we've got complex problems, and we better get on with the program. By now, you're getting some idea probably where you're at. And what happens is, of course, all of the fives decide they're sevens, and all of the sixes immediately decide they're eights. So, uh, as Evan said, one of the things that separates the sixes from the eights, the eights are willing to sacrifice themselves and others if necessary. Sixes are not ready to sacrifice others. And uh, so, obviously, Evan has said that getting from first tier to second tier is the next thing that we need to do in the world. And first tier is a food fight as Wilbur calls it. So everybody, as Evan said, has no awareness. They all think they're right, and they're all running around deadlocked and gridlocked and fighting with each other. And seven is the first level that can look at the first tier food fight and go, oh, my God, look what's happening here. And you can kind of step back and look at it, but also you can begin to see, well, maybe you can intervene. And then eight then has even more insight as to what needs to be done. So global survival is going to depend on getting a lot of the people that are in six now to get them to move up into seven and get them to move up into eight. And so if we could maybe get five or ten percent of the people at six to move on into seven, it would make a major shift in the way the world is operating. And the more people we can get in the second tier, the better chance we got of being able to survive, of being able to thrive, of being able to deal with problems. And if we can't do that soon, then once again, things may become very difficult. So.
You need to try to figure out where you are. And then where you are, then you've got two choices. You can stay there, or you can see that there are things beyond, and you can begin to see where where you are is not working, and you can begin then to make the transition to the next level. Because we realize the world needs second-tier thinking desperately now more than ever, and so you are the vanguard. And then now the question is, where do you go next? And what will take to get you there? Now then, the more you can enter into these other ways of thinking, then the more value you're going to get out of this. But to do that, you've got to let your own identity soften up. You've got to be able to have the ability to go into another world. Ability to empathize. That's one of the things that a seven is able to do. They can understand. They can feel the six's pain. They can understand the four. They can understand the two. They can understand the three. In fact, six and sevens usually like to have a few three friends. They're always safe and good to have them around. So in any case, uh, this is where we're at. This is where we're going. Sure. How about that? I think that makes the point quite perfectly. You've got to keep in mind, this program is from 2012. It's from years ago. This is a very old program already. And the model, the spiral dynamics model, this model was discovered and been studied since the 50s and was made mainstream way back in the 80s. So this thing's been rolling around for a long time. And this is my point. The point here is we already have all the models and we already have the solutions over and above this model, over and above this entire developmental model. The solutions to the problems which we're having right now, they already exist. We have the solutions for at least 80% of the world's problems and we have the solutions available to us right now. The craziness is that we are not implementing them. These solutions are not implemented. And it's not for the lack of solutions. It's for the lack of implementation of these solutions. I was in an Uber this morning, and the conversation which I had with the driver was what <laughs> was enlightening, I've got to tell you. The driver himself asks me why we don't use what is available to us right now. And what he was talking about, he used to be an investigator for SARS. And he was telling me that he's seen technology, which we already have, which can track anyone, anywhere. In other words, we can find criminals in a heartbeat. And they've done this, and he did it. The thing is, they were not arresting the people. They were still just monitoring them. They know where they are, and they know what they are doing. However, we don't use that technology. And he was totally stumped why they don't arrest people or stop crime or anything of the like. And in his own words, in his own words, he's pissed. He's pissed with his own government because they are letting this kind of shit fly. Even in the face of knowing that they can stop it, and they don't. I mean, he was actually telling me, we got down to quite an interesting conversation. And he was telling me that for his local issues or his local municipality or anything local, he votes completely differently. He votes for a different party because he trusts those other parties way more. It was crazy. It's an interesting situation. Humans are fascinating. And this is the whole point of the series. This is why this starts to make sense out of the chaos or it starts to make sense out of the craziness. Humans can do the weirdest things. For as long as we can orientate ourselves with this, or why we do weird things, or how we get to do weird things, now we can orientate and now things can start to make sense. You know, it gives us a better bearing. It gives us a reference point. It gives us better bearings on these insights and lets us know that this stuff is not just random. It's also predictably irrational and predictably human. This is why this whole puzzle has turned into this massive Gordian knot. It's turned into some sort of massive giant pretzel which... It weaves over itself and then back into itself. It's very difficult to follow and it's very intertwined. We can solve this problem. We really can. 
The thing is, it's not just about thinking about the problem, making sense of the problem in our heads. We've got to act on it. We've got to do something with it. And I totally agree. The solution to this problem is way bigger than what we're going through right now. There's a bigger problem coming, which implies that there's a bigger solution needed. Remember, these worlds came online to solve an existing problem. And as we moved into the next world, we created more problems. We solved one issue and new issues emerged. We didn't directly make them. These problems just emerged. They came out of where we were coming from. And the big trick behind all of this, because we can see these worlds, these worlds have been observed from the beginning. They have very clear guidelines. They have very clear structures. We know how they operate. We know what their motive is. We know what their, let's call it their mode of operation is. We can identify the phases. We can identify the stages. And we can identify the behavior. This makes us predictable. In other words, we can see what's going on there. And if they're predictable, they have predictable solutions. And currently, the government is not going to implement these solutions. So we need to shift our focus. We need to shift our focus beyond this rage culture, this culture that just wants to make a noise about anything. We need to place our energies into the things which make a difference and not the things which get us emotionally flooded and just keep us busy, keep us busy without any constructive result. This is why I diverted this broadcast to this topic. Because there is so much to be learned here. And this entire sequence of events, let's call it unfortunate events, they simply demonstrate what humans can do. It highlights my passion of what I'm actually looking for, why I'm actually trying to uplift people, why I'm trying to change people's lives. In so many ways, when I've watched these events from the past, those events simply demonstrate what that behavior looks like. And it demonstrates the main ethos and the philosophy behind the work that I do here at Be Limitless. Not to encourage that behavior, it's to actually change the behavior. It's to basically change our planet. We have dedicated our lives to this vision. The vision to uplift people, to solve these very problems. For people to stop being angry. For people to stop being depressed. It's to move our civilization to the next level. And for those of you who know, the people that are listening to this who have been through the Harlequin experience, you know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm coming from. And for sure, the Harlequin experience is not the silver bullet to everything. I know it doesn't solve every single problem. I know that. But it makes one hell of a dent. And the situation that's been going on has just given us contrast. It has given us observable, measurable events. So when we look at this situation that we're in, when we look at us scraping the barrel, when we're waiting for things to get bad, when we look at a situation like this, the, the situation simply gives us the contrast and the observable results of what two different attitudes can bring us the results between the different attitudes and worldviews. So on one hand, this is just a golden opportunity to sink our teeth into reality. Look at this from a ground level and look at it from a completely zoomed out point of view and see if we can constantly make sense of this thing, see if we can actually unravel this knot. Because unfortunately, the problem is, this is not going to stop. It's going to continue. And once we can see this whole thing in its entirety, once we zoom out and we can actually see Let's say two different paths in front of us. We see two different options. We can choose. Choose which option we want to take. Choose which way we want to go. I know that most of us listening to this have already chosen. I get that. We need to keep choosing every day, constantly. This gives us clarity and contrast on the situation and what we want to achieve at the ground level. Governments are totally capable of implementing plans and programs which can develop people. They can develop the entire population and we can start to solve all of these challenges. The thing is, they haven't. They don't. And for the most part, they won't. Even for us as individuals. 
take exactly the same statement and apply that to individuals. We ourselves are totally capable of solving this problem. We are totally capable of solving this issue, but we don't, and we won't. If we really thought about it, in a way, we wouldn't even need government, and we definitely wouldn't need a government at this level, or a government to the degree that we rely on them now. Just as we've looked at these worlds in the developmental model from a human's development point of view and a human's perspective, this stuff also applies to a government. It also applies to a country. It applies at a much higher level. These developmental models overlay. And we can see how governments and society have developed along the same lines. Without leadership, humans would probably still be in caves or up trees or possibly extinct. There was a time that we looked to our chief and our shaman for all the answers. And then came the time of the king and the queen and then the clergy. And we even looked to industry and science for a way of living. And now government. We have looked at many different things to show us a way. And for each of these challenges we solve, they create new ones. If humans were truly behaved, or if we could behave ourselves as humans, if we could do that, if we could behave and we looked after ourselves, we wouldn't even need a government. Or we definitely wouldn't need the kinds of governments that we have now. But that's only if. If a human can take responsibility, if a human can look after themselves. This is a very big if. If humans could stop hating one another, if humans stopped stealing from each other, if humans could stop pretending to be weak, if humans took their power back and we stepped up, and we stepped up to what we really are, we could govern ourselves. We could take charge of ourselves. We could look after ourselves. We could. <laughs> we could, but we don't. We don't. And government has stepped in and gladly become the sheeple herder, the herder of sheeple. Government has set themselves up that they have all the answers to everything, and they don't. Government is also supposed to take care of the bigger issues or take care of the bigger problems or the bigger picture, and they don't. Government is supposed to take care of the other things so that we the people can get on with our lives. A good government is actually an invisible government. When you don't look for the government and you can't see the government, that's a good government. But when you need to look for the government because the services aren't working, you need to look for the government because everything's falling apart. Or the government is so prevalent because there's so much noise going on inside the government. That's not a good government. That's not a good organization. And when they set themselves up to be the answers, and we think that they have the answers, it places us at a disadvantage. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you went to the government to learn how to raise your children? When was the last time you went to government to learn how to run a relationship? They didn't teach you that. When was the last time that you went to government to learn how to do well in an organization? Just to be employed. What does it mean to be a good employee inside an organization? When was the last time government taught you that? When was the last time you went to government to learn how to run a business or to build a business or how to run a farm? Government doesn't teach you those things and they can't teach you those things. Only thing is, at this stage when you want to create a business or you want to run a farm or you want to get into the economy, this is where the government will step in. At this stage, the government wants to get involved and they want to get involved in your process. And they only want to get involved because they benefit from this. Because it's only once you become part of a functional society. It's only once you actually have a job or a tax number or own a business or anything in that space. It's only once you become part of the economy. Now the government is going to track you. And the government is going to want to split all your earnings with you. 
You see, this level of government will only get involved in your process because it benefits them. But for the most part, up until then, government is not interested in us. Government is definitely not interested in your well-being. Once again, think about it. When was the last time you went to government to learn how to improve your self-esteem or your self-discipline? When? When? The structure and the significance of our governments need to change. Even our infrastructure services are being handed to the private sector now. And even when these services aren't handed to the private sector, it's the private sector which are discovering and implementing the solutions to all of these little problems that we are having. Private sector is the one that is going to save us. And it's the private sector which is going to die. This message is crucial, people. Fuck, man, I really don't want to fucking talk about this. I can't, I can't express this enough. We literally have no idea the power we have as people. And not the power of force. It's not the power of destruction. It's the power of waking up. All of what I'm speaking about here, it might sound like the ramblings of a madman. And I totally get that, because right now I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking out of my head. But I promise, if you just keep pushing through this series, just push through this, I will land the plane on all these things. Everything is connected to everything. Everything that I'm talking about here is connected to everything. These things are interlinked and they are intertwined. Very basically put, the private sector is the world fours and fives, and government is living in the world of world six. And this is why the structure and the significance of governments need to change. Because we have so many different worlds of development overlapping each other and living on top of each other, with zero idea of each other, with zero idea of the different world stages, and with zero idea of whatever world they are living in, this will always create friction. It will always create a brand new issue. Until then, we will need governance. And the current government structure is on such a gravy train that there is no way that they're going to give this up. There's just no way. So we're actually caught between a rock and a hard place. Some worlds are taking responsibility. Other worlds have zero concept of responsibility. Because we're not motivated, we're not incentivized to develop. Ultimately, we all develop. Ultimately, we all move through these phases. And ultimately, we do all get to the other side. But that development is slow if it's actually not nurtured. That development literally takes hundreds of years. It's more than one generation. All that that does is it gives the government even more excuses of why they don't do what they promised. And the times just get harder. And the hard times are keeping the poor poor. And the poor just keeps looking at their government to solve their problems. They're waiting for the government to solve their issues. And the government won't. The government doesn't. While their government ignores their pleas and bleeds the country dry while adding to the ever-growing poor population. You know, here's the thing. This is not a politically driven podcast. And nor am I interested or intending to make it that way. The only reason why I'm talking about this is because this is an issue which touches every single one of us. And it touches each and every one of us every single day. We need to stop the excuses that there's no way out. And see that there is a way out. There is a solution. This can get better. And all of these instances are simply examples and clues as to what's happening. And it is a tiny, it is almost a minuscule slice of a very big picture. So the bottom line is this. We clearly cannot look to government or wait for government to solve our problems. We simply can't. We need to start solving our problems for ourselves. We need to solve our own problems. Yes, government does need to catch a wake-up and they do need to start performing. Yes, they do. We all know this. However, they are not coming to save us. It is left up to us. It's left up to we. We the people need to roll up our sleeves and get stuck in. We need to come up with the solutions and we need to implement them. And this is why I say the solution is sandwiched between the two problems. Between the underdeveloped global population run by greedy, ineffectual global governments. Not all governments. I get that. Not all. And definitely not everywhere. 
because there are places which are clearly working and working very well. But it's in the places with the most friction. It's in the places with the most poverty and the most disparity. This is where you'll see this problem every single time. You will see this come up every single time. All that we need to do is fantasize for a while. And I know we're about to have a fantasy. But imagine if there was a government, or imagine if government could only be voted in by those who are employed, or let's say with a certificate of some sort of competence, competence of some kind, whatever that is. Just imagine that. Let's just play a quick fantasy game. Imagine having a government which represents the contributing population. Now, before I open a huge can of worms and before everyone goes completely nuts and has some sort of massive misguided debate, before we get there, just pause. Just pause a while and think about it. All I'm saying is this. Can you imagine a world where all humans are way more focused on developing, developing each other, developing everything else around them, including nature, where everyone has purpose and meaning, and we are all contributing to something much bigger than ourselves, where we are all focused on a much bigger and brighter future? Just sit back and think about that for a while. Imagine a world like that. Now, to give you some contrast, just think about what it looks like if we go the other way. Just think about what it looks like when you have a misguided, out-of-touch government inciting a violent population, a population which is bent on destruction, not contribution anymore, and who do not see tomorrow. Just sit back and think about that for a while. Think about the contrast. Does that way of thinking build a safe society? Does this move us to civilization? Or would a healthy, mature, constructive population get us there a lot quicker? Would you think that this population would build a much safer and more prosperous place to live in? What do you think? What would it look like if each member of society was enrolled in some sort of development and enrolled into developing into the next world of development? What would a world like that look like? In my mind, this actually sounds like a breakthrough. On one hand, we all know in our hearts what will change this world. We do. The constant question behind what I keep asking is, are we prepared to do what's necessary to get us there? Are we prepared to take responsibility for our thoughts, our behaviors, Are we willing to really raise each other up, each and every one of us? Are we willing to raise each and every one of the human population up? Are we prepared to take on our own self-development? Are we really civilized human beings living in a civilization? Or are we just a bunch of tribes living on top of one another, trying to get one over on those other tribes? If each human can ask themselves, what are we really fighting for? What are we really, really fighting for? And when we get it, what will we do with it? The reality behind this is that most of us do not know what we are fighting for. All that we know is that there is a fight, and let's fight. Let's fight, why not? Currently, us humans, we are not as smart as we think we are. To give you some perspective of what I'm talking about, if you had to track the timeline of how long we've been around on this planet, and we place the age of the Earth on a 24-hour clock, the first humanoids, or even the first humans, the first humans only appeared at around the last Four seconds before midnight. Four seconds. Rock paintings only appeared about two seconds ago. Two seconds. And we've only been living in civilizations for the last few fractions of a second. That's the last few fractions of a second. It's not even a full second yet. So we are completely new to this game. We are still entrenched and soaked in our primal drives and our primal behaviors. It's only until we realize our true glory of being a human being and what being human really means. It's only until we realize this, we will still be stuck in these issues. If we really are human beings, we really can get beyond this. We need to leave space for grace, and we need to choose. We need to choose the better angels of our constructive nature, 
over our primal nature to destroy. This has been a Breakthrough Radio production with your host, Andrew Mayer. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the series. Thank you for your time, and I'll catch you in the next episode.